It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 22, 2016. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be with you. Good to be with you as well. And uh, Kyle's back behind the boards tonight after a long hiatus. Kyle, welcome back to the program. It's uh, good to be here. Yeah, look forward to hearing from you tonight as well, Kyle. And if you're listening to us live, we want to hear from you in the chat room tonight. If you're listening to us live or in the podcast, uh, questions at collegeview.com are the ways you contact us, as well as 877-381-4567. We'd like to hear from you. And if you are listening to us in the podcast, uh, why not uh, get over to our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and find out more about us or... Better yet, make plans to join us on a live uh, study one evening so you can make your comments live with other listeners. That uh, helps the program go better. So we'd like to have you join us live if you can. And we'd also want to start inviting people to our gospel meeting here at College View uh, October 16th. No, no, no. October 23rd through the 28th. October 23rd through 28th. So just a little over a month away. Uh, well, just almost exactly a month yeah, away. Yeah, on. Um, we're going to have different speakers from around the Middle Tennessee area. Actually, we've got a couple of guys coming from North Alabama. Let me give you the rundown of our speakers, Jacob. Uh, Sunday, Jim Walsh from Tompkinsville, Kentucky. Yeah, been on the program before. Right. Uh, Monday, um, John Gibson from, I guess, Athens, Alabama. Been on the program before. Tuesday, Jim Michaels from Lewisburg, Tennessee. Been on the program before. Wednesday, it's a fellow I don't know, but has been recommended to us, David Watson from yep. Athens, Alabama. Okay. Don't He's know. working with a fellow we do know, Steve Klein. Yeah. He works with Steve Klein in Athens, Alabama, so uh, he'll be here Wednesday night. Thursday night is Alan Yader. Right. Uh, and I've already advised Alan that he'll have to join us uh, for the virtual Bible study immediately after the, after the session. His topic that night, by the way, is going to be about... Um, Challenges for men in the 21st century, the challenge of, of being uh, uh, the man God wants us to be and being heads of our family, being fathers to our children and so forth. Okay, I think that's an important topic. Yeah. And then Friday night of that week, Jim Deason from uh, Coleman, Alabama, well-known in this area, is going to be here. And we're, we're not going to have preaching that night. We're going to have a, a, a congregational singing okay. on Friday night of, of that week. All right. If you're in the area, we want you to make plans to join us. Uh, yeah, here's an ad for uh, advertisement or for a meeting in Hot Springs, Arkansas, October 16th through 19th. Kenny Moore. I know Kenny Moore. All right. You should have a good meeting, Kevin. All right. So if you're in Hot Springs, Arkansas, October 16th through 19th, look up uh, the uh, church there in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Yep. All right. And anybody else, anybody else wants to plug a it's gospel meeting? No charge, get, get in the chat no room. Charge, it's absolutely yeah. free. You okay. can do that just like Kevin did. So. All right. All right. Good. We got a topic that I we think is important. It's not a brand new topic to us on the virtual Bible study, but it's one that we have not dealt with in a good long while. I was looking in our archives and realized that we had sort of been neglecting to talk about miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, we've alluded to that any number of times, but it's been a several, several years since we actually spent a, a program talking about the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right. Just a few weeks ago, we had an interview with a, uh, a fellow from Texas who has been instrumental in starting a number of cowboy churches in Texas. Yes. And when we were talking with him, we learned that he was what we refer to as charismatic. That is, he believes in the present day miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and so forth. We said in the course of that, well, we've studied that before and we don't, we don't believe that. We don't agree with that, but we just sort of let that pass. And I got to thinking, you know, we really should explain why we don't believe that miracles are happening today. All right. We want to step back from this discussion and look at just what the scriptures teach, because there are a lot of misconceptions about miracles uh, today. We just have to mention maybe a name like Benny Hinn uh, as one example to show. And I think most people can see through that. I hope that most people can. Apparently, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. He's still making big money off of people who send him contributions. But certainly there are lots of misconceptions about Miracles Day. So let's just step back from the issue and look at what the Word of God says. That's what we try always to do on the virtual Bible study. In other words, we might have a personal opinion or preference on any subject, but... Personal opinion and preference is not what proves the case. It's what right. does the Bible say. All right. So that's what we want to do on the program tonight, 877-381-4567. You sent some questions earlier today that will serve as the framework for our discussion. Tonight. Yeah, earlier today to our update list, we always remind you, get on our list. If you're not, send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. We'll do it. On Thursday, you'll get our update. And today we sent out the update with these questions. Number one, what was the purpose of miracles in the Bible? Specifically in the New Testament, what purpose did they fulfill? Are miracles still needed to accomplish those purposes today? Okay. Number two, how did people receive the ability to work miracles in New Testament times? Are those means still available today? Mm-hmm. And number three, are such miracles still being performed by people today? Yes or no? Why or why not? All right. Three questions. Lots to talk about. We'll look forward to hearing from you regarding those questions tonight. All right, so let's start out with the first question about the purpose of miracles. Um, And I believe this is true of Old Testament miracles as well as New Testament miracles, but we're really concentrating on New Testament miracles because they pertain to things in the church. And so just sort of by default tonight, Jacob, we're going to be talking about the miracles as they are discussed in New Testament times. We understand miracles certainly happened in Old Testament times as well, but we're especially interested in the miracles that Christians were empowered to do uh, in the first century, as is recorded in the New Testament. And, Jacob, probably a, a point we need to make and stress emphatically right at the start of this discussion is we believe them all. Uh, you yes. name a miracle that's recorded in the New Testament, and we believe it. We believe it absolutely, and we, and we make no attempt to try to explain it away or try to make a naturalistic explanation as to as to how it happened. For instance, you know, Jesus walking on the water. I've heard explanations of there were some very shallow shelf rocks and Jesus knew where they were placed and he was actually walking on those shallow rocks. It looked like he was walking on water. But when you calculate how far out into the Sea of Galilee that the disciples were, that's completely impossible. I even heard one guy try to explain that there was a, a, a unique and weird weather phenomena that caused the water to sort of 
instantaneously freeze on the surface, and Jake and Jesus was walking across ice. Right, but it had thawed uh, enough on the top; it looked like he was walking on water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, just uh, people going to crazy extremes to try and explain away the obvious miracles that are stated in the Bible, uh, and and we're not doing that at all. We believe them. We believe them emphatically. We believe them literally and exactly as they are recorded in the page. And so I wouldn't want anybody to question our faith in those things. We believe them. But we take the position, we'll state it now, and then we'll try to establish it as we go along. We take the position that the miraculous gifts of the first century no longer are operational in the world today. And that's, uh, yes, and that's not it's not a preference. So we're not doing that because we've got some kind of preference or we've got some kind of agenda. That's just what we see in the scriptures. Yeah. And so we're going to go with that, and uh, we'll show you why we believe that as we go along in the program tonight. Exactly. Uh, Kevin in the chat room makes a good suggestion. He says maybe we ought to start this discussion off with a definition of what a miracle is because we see that uh, hear that term a lot i believe you had a uh, bullet point on that last week yeah uh about uh what a, what a miracle is all about yeah uh in that bullet point uh, it would have been good to have that bullet point in this week's program but in that bullet point last week i i, I commented on a letter we received from a hospital administrator and this hospital administ- administrator said miracles happen at this hospital every day. Yeah, like a baby being born or a yeah, baby getting better. Somebody with cancer being cured of cancer. Yeah. Uh, and we just point out those are all wonderful things, uh, wonderful, amazing things. And and those who have a new baby or those who are healed of a disease, that's a blessing for sure. But it's not a miracle because all of that is happening in accordance with natural laws that god put in place god established the reproductive cycle for instance in human beings and so when that reproductive cycle works we actually know how it works we 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 know the inner workings of that and we study that and and of course and people who are in the medical field far more knowledgeable than the average person is but we know how that happens and and we know all the things that is really amazing it's it's awesome it's incredible but it's all according to a natural uh, law that God put in place. Uh, the same thing with the, the curing of diseases. You know, doctors study what kind of what kind of medicines, compounds, chemicals can they apply to try and stop a, a, a cancer, for instance, we even call it chemotherapy. It's chemistry in action. It, it's, it's, and so you, you, they, they study that. They study that extensively and they try to figure out what will work to make this do that. It's all according to understood scientific principles. Those, those are wonderful things, but they are not miracles. Yeah. Not by, not by biblical definition of miracle. People, people use that term today, miracle. They, they, they they uh, uh, use it real loosely. You know, a kid wasn't very well prepared for the test on his uh, algebra test at school, and he said, "Man, it was a miracle that I passed that yeah. test." Yeah. Well, it was pretty surprising, yeah. but it wasn't a miracle. Or your 16-year-old son <laughs> drives home from school and doesn't get in a wreck, and then, well, that's a miracle. Well, yeah. it's pretty surprising, <laughs> but not a miracle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kevin says miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. I think a very good, good definition. Very good. And speaking of Jim Walsh, he'll be here on the 23rd of October speaking to us, as we mentioned earlier in the program. 
Jim says for all these explanations, uh, these naturalistic explanations that people come up with, he says it requires you to believe that the person who was involved in the hoodwinking of the people knew something that no one else knew. How is it that if Jesus knew where there was an area to walk on shallow rocks that no one else knew about it? Yeah, uh, exactly right, Jim. And if he did, but he left let people uh, assume the wrong conclusion that he had actually walked on water, then he's a he's he a was, fake and a charlatan and, a, and, he, yep. and should be totally rejected. But what's amazing is some of these re- are religious people. They say they believe in Jesus Christ. Right. But they still want to make the miracles not literal. You can't have that both ways. Either the miracles really happened and Jesus and others really performed miracles, or they were fakers and charlatans and and practiced sleight of hand to deceive people, and we ought to just reject them completely. All right. Now, on to the purpose of miracles. What was their purpose? Jeff in the chat room says, overall, miracles were to prove God's power. In the New Testament, they were proved that Christ and his disciples, what they were teaching, was true. I think that's a good way to put it, Jeff. I think that's true. So miracles were for the purpose of, first of all, revealing things to mankind. Okay. Messages from God, truth from God. Those were revealed by miracles. When God, for instance, when inspired men spoke or wrote, God put the words in their mind, and they came out with the literal words God wanted. The, the, spoke, the words they spoke and the, the words they wrote on the page were what exactly what God wanted them to say. Uh, and they were speaking about things that they did not know from their own personal experience or study these were things being revealed to them, and they were speaking them on behalf of God. And so God was empowering them through the Holy Spirit to reveal his truth. Um, in John chapter 14, verse 26, in some of the final words and instructions Jesus gave to his disciples before his crucifixion, he said, John fourteen twenty-six, "...but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name..." He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And so all the truth of God was going to be given, uh, revealed to these men. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus calls him the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. The Father will send him. He will teach you all things, John 14, 26. And then uh, just slightly later in chapter 16 of John, beginning verse 12, Jesus said, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So notice, the spirit was going to guide them in these matters of truth. It was going to be a miraculous revelation of God's truth to these men. We often emphasize there that the promise was that they would receive all truth. All of the truth that God intended for mankind to know would be made known within a lifetime of those apostles. He's going to guide you into all truth. And so God was, through his Holy Spirit, acting upon these men. These gifts given to them were for the purpose of revealing his truth by them. Peter said in Second Peter 1, verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Notice, everything pertaining to life and godliness, Peter said, had already been given. When he wrote Second uh, Peter, 
He said, it's already been given. They were still in the process of writing some of it down, but all the truth was out there already at that point. And all of it wasn't written down in the Bible. There was uh, knowledge that was given miraculously that it was not has not been recorded for us. For instance, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells his disciples uh, if uh, in verse 11, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer for what or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. That's a miraculous revelation on what they were to say when they were brought before the authorities yeah. uh, to be persecuted. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that type of knowledge is m- mentioned with the miraculous that would go away. We'll talk about that in a little bit later. But in verse uh, 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, wh- but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And that's talking about this inspired knowledge right. that the Holy Spirit would put into these people's minds. Right. Just one thing that, just one point that I would emphasize on what you said about not necessarily everything ever that the Holy Spirit ever revealed was written down for us in the New Testament, but we would add every necessary thing. Every necessary thing is is written for yes. us. But but there were other things. There were inspired people. There were inspired prophets whose work we do not have reserved for us. Right. But we believe that everything we need has been preserved for us. All right. So one purpose of miracles was uh, to reveal God's word. We'll look at some other purposes when we get back. But we the scripture is very clear on why miracles existed in the world. And we want to look at that. That's fundamental for us to understand uh, some more about miracles and, and to answer the question, do they still occur today? If you're not in the chat room, sign in there and get your comments there or give us a call at 877-381-4567. We'll take a break and we'll get back right after this. There's more of the virtual Bible study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock. It's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The best inheritance a father can leave his children is a good example. Choice, not chance, determines human destiny. To be upset over what you don't have is to waste what you do have. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. Right, we're back on the program tonight as we talk about miracles, their purpose, and what about them today. Uh, we want to look at the, what the scriptures teach again uh, and divorce ourselves of any uh, preconceived notions uh, on this subject because there are a lot of misconceptions in the world today. All right, so first off, they're to reveal God's word. We looked at some of those uh, verses that showed that. But that's not the only purpose. Well, okay. So here I come into a new city, and I'm an inspired man. 
And I'm telling you, I want to give you a message that God has given to me. God has revealed to me this truth. Let me tell you about it. You can almost imagine that the reaction of people would say, Oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, you selling any snake oil? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you can see logically why they would need a means of confirming that what they were saying was revealing, was being revealed from God. And so not only did the miracles of, of the first century serve to reveal that truth, but it also served to confirm that truth so that the this new message and remember to us it's an old message we've we've heard it all our lives but in that day it was a brand new thing and there needed to be some way of verifier verifying or confirming that it really was from god and the miracles that these people performed did that job as well all right uh we might look at a couple of verses that sort of yep. emphasize that a really good one is in mark chapter 16 beginning verse 17, Mark 16, beginning verse 17. Jesus is speaking. He said, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Stop there for a minute. Those are clearly miracles, right? Yes. I mean, speaking in tongues, we'll talk some more about tongue speaking and what it is, what it was. Uh, casting out devils, we can talk about demon possession and so forth. But those were things that normal people could not do. They couldn't cast out demons and they couldn't speak in languages they had never studied. T- taking up serpents and not, and not being hurt, drinking poison and not being harmed, laying hands on the sick, all miraculous things. But notice Jesus says then, it, or, or the account rather, uh, Jesus speaking ends and the account finalizes in verse 20, it says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Mm-hmm. The signs were the confirmation of the word. So the context there in Mark 16, beginning verse 17, is of miraculous things. And verse 20 in particular tells us what those miraculous things were for, the confirming of the word that was being preached. And so that's exactly what we were trying to suggest earlier. It's sort of like... Why should we believe you? You say you're getting a message from God. Well, who are you and why should we believe you? Well, here's a miracle to confirm that what I'm saying is true. All right. Absolutely. So to the miracles would reveal the word and then also confirm the word. And uh, certainly we see the purpose of miracles presented. You, uh, you know, just for a moment, Jake, you might look at that list of things that he said they would do there in Mark chapter 16. Casting out demons. There are still people who, who claim they're doing that. You know, that, In fact, exorcism in the Catholic Church is sort of getting uh, popular. new popularity. Yeah. Uh, speaking in tongues. There's plenty of people who claim the power to speak in tongues. Taking up serpents. You know, you ever wonder why you, you hear, especially you hear, for instance, uh, uh, in the mountains of East Tennessee and in, in Appalachia, we we hear we we know of snake handling religious. We, we interviewed We've interviewed a him. snake handling preacher. Yeah, we yeah. talked to a snake, really nice guy, but so misguided. He, here's the verse he's he was using to to say we should be able to handle snakes. Yeah. Uh, drinking poisonous things. Some of those same people. Now it's usually some of those same people who claim they can handle snakes will drink like arsenic and stuff and claim that it doesn't hurt them. Uh, they'll try it 
Some people have gotten <laughs> some people have gotten hurt. Well, when, when it's real, if, if they're really doing it, if it's not just a show, a deception, if they're really drinking arsenic, if they're really handling snake. Remember that guy we interviewed. That's his we good interviewed friend. Him. His good friend had died of a snake right, bite. Right, and this guy had almost died. Yeah, uh, and and uh, he may not be with us anymore. The way that they're going, they're they're they're. It's a dying breed, but uh, it's amazing. Laying hands on the sick to recover. Well, you know, plenty of fakers are are claiming that they can heal the sick. That's a real eye-opening experience, by the way. If if you listeners have never done that, and you read in the paper that there's going to be a faith healing rally in your community, by all means, go. Everybody should take that in. It is a very eye-opening experience, and you will be able to contrast, just amazingly contrast what those fakers are claiming with what the Word of God really says about true miraculous divine healing. Uh, Have you been, Kyle? Oh no no! It's a. We need to find one, Kyle. Well, we for need those to... of uh, those who have television and satellite, there's a. Everybody knows the TBN and that uh, almost yeah. almost every preacher's on there. Is they have the rallies and you know. Yeah. Especially Benny Hinn, he's something. He, he's it's he's yeah. to watch. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. But the reason that now get this, the reason why what was the reason of those signs? The the reason for those signs were to confirm the word. That's what Mark 16, verse 27 says. They did do those things back then. Why? To confirm the word. Now, one of the points that we're going to be making here is, why are people doing it today? Well, they're not confirming the word, because we already pointed out that all the truth was going to be revealed in the lifetime of those apostles. They're not putting out new truth. So why are they doing miracles? Because there's there's no truth to be confirmed, you know? No. That's an interesting. We'll talk more about that. In a there are bit. checks to be cashed on many instances, yeah. but maybe not all. One more passage that talks about this confirming nature of the miracles is Hebrews chapter two, beginning verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Notice, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. Yeah. God was bearing witness with them. He was confirming the, the message that they preached by his Holy Spirit, empowering them to perform miracles. 877-381-4567 is the number to call. We'd like your comments. You know, it might be good for us as we look at uh, their purpose to reveal God's word and to confirm the message. We might look at what their purpose was not. And from the scriptures, we can see that the purpose was not just to rid the world. Not, just to, not just to heal sick people. You know, you see that on signs even. You go around churches, come expecting your miracle, you know. Yeah. That, 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 that's what God just wants to, he wants everybody in the world to be healed, and uh, and so come get your miracle. Well, that wasn't the case in the first century, certainly. Uh, we look at uh, look at Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh. Well, why didn't he just whack himself on the forehead, you know? Yeah. Can, he, can you self-administer a miracle? Surely he could have done that, but maybe, maybe you can't self-administer. Well, it sure didn't pay to be one of his friends either. Because his friends had a lot of ailments. Uh, you, I think you may be going to Timothy. Look at his uh, his stomach problem there yeah. in First Timothy 5, uh, where he had a stomach problem. Paul didn't say, come here and I'll whack you on the head. Uh, he said, uh, you need to do something about that. Yeah. Take some medicine. And, and then in Second Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul's talking about being alone where he was, and he was apparently in, uh, in a second imprisonment and awaiting his probable execution. And he says, Erastus abode at Corinth. This is 
Second Timothy 4, verse 20, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left in Miletum sick. Wait a Do thy minute. diligence to come before winter. Why did he leave him sick there? Yeah. Why didn't he just heal him? He must have forgot he could work miracles. No. You suppose? Again, the point being, they weren't for just healing purposes. They were for confirmation purposes. All right. All right. All right. So we've talked about the purpose of miracles. We had an email from Kent I wanted to get in here. Uh, Kent says the purpose of biblical miracles was for the purpose of confirmation of the of truthfulness and veracity of the message of the scriptures. This concept is confirmed in Mark sixteen fifteen through twenty. There is no longer a need for miracles today in that the word of God exists in completed and confirmed form. He references First Corinthians thirteen eight and following Ephesians four eleven and following. I think that's exactly right. Um, I think one of the ways to look about the, the the purpose of miracles, you know, for instance, when you're building a building, I've I've heard it illustrated this way: when you're building a building, you erect scaffolds around the building so that you can get up on them and build the building. And but once the building is built, you take the scaffolds down; they're not needed anymore. And someone suggested that that's sort of a way to think about miracles. They were like scaffolding around. The church, as it was, as as God was revealing His truth, and the church was being established, but once all the truth was out there and confirmed, the scaffolding is taken down. Yeah. I, I think that's a pretty good way to think about miracles and the purpose of miracles. And since the purpose has been accomplished, then we would conclude miracles aren't needed anymore. Or not needed anymore. And uh, we talked about the fact that uh, miracles weren't just to heal sick people. That wasn't their their sole purpose. Jim says, why ask the saints in Acts 6 to select men to feed the widows? Why not just work a miracle like the feeding of the 5,000 to take exactly. care of the widows that way? Exactly right. So it wasn't just to feed people either. Uh, okay, good good point, Jim. Thank you for that. Um, the, uh, uh, the purpose of miracles, uh, this is what we want to stress. The purpose of miracles has been fulfilled and when a purpose has been accomplished, you know, another way to look at this is, uh, you know, maybe you've had an occasion where you needed to get a, a certified check. You're going to maybe you're going to go buy a used car and the fellow says, well, yeah, I can bring a check, but I want it, I want it to be verified at the bank that, that there's funds in the bank to cover the check if you're going to give me a check. And so you go and get you go and get a, your, your check certified. Well, when they certify that one time, you don't have to keep going back hour by hour or day by day. Once that check is certified, it's it's certified. It doesn't have to be recertified over and over and over again. Yep. These people who claim that miracles are still happening today almost are suggesting that the Word of God needs continual verification, yes. and it doesn't. Yeah. All right, we're going to get a break and get this week's bullet point. We've looked at the first point, the purpose of miracles. That purpose is no longer needed. What about the way that people got the ability to work miracles? How did that occur in the Bible? We have documentation of how that occurred. And do those means still exist today? Could, would it be possible for someone to get the ability to work miracles if the need still existed today? Well, even, they, even if it existed. If it didn't even. It, yeah. didn't, it doesn't exist. But even if it did, uh, could you uh, get those mir- that ability transferred to you? We'll get a break at this week's bullet point. Get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this important message. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. What do you do when you see a fellow Christian make a mistake? It may be a simple error of judgment, or it could be a more serious blunder, a sin that can potentially send his soul to eternal hell. What will you do? 
Well, actually, there are several options open to you. You could ignore the situation totally, or you might, in your own mind, ridicule his foolishness. If you're a little bolder, you could gossip to others about his error, belittling him as you do so. You see, there are a number of things you could do, but of course, there's only one thing you should do. There's only one God-ordained course of action. Quote, he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. James chapter 5, verse 20. Quote, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Galatians 6, verse 1. The fact is that we all need the help, encouragement, and strengthening that comes from our brethren. Sadly, too often we do things that hinder rather than help our brother when he is down. The next time you're confronted with such a situation, remember that if you want to please God, your choice is already made. If your brother has made a mistake, there can be no ignoring of the problem, no backbiting gossip, no thoughts of ridicule or humiliation. Go to your brother with the help he needs. Don't forget that you are certain to need this kind of help in the future, too. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate. I'm four. This is the Virtual Bible Study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. And we're back on the program tonight, reminding this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. As we mentioned earlier, our website is the... We encourage you to go and find out more about us by checking out that website. We welcome your comments anytime, questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you. Even if you don't have a question, maybe you just want to sign in and let us know you're out there listening. We'd love to hear from you. Questions at collegeview.com. I think Jim has made an interesting observation in the chat room. He said, would you say that the purpose of miracles was to honor and glorify his power in confirming his word? It was not to prove that you had the power, but that the power was used to confirm the truth of God's word and give him the glory. I think that's right. And I would argue that that, uh, uh, Paul was sort of dealing with that wrong mindset in first corinthians beginning chapter 11 running all the way through chapter 14 talking about the use of spiritual gifts in the church at corinth and it seemed that some of them had gotten sort of proud right. and arrogant you know I'm a, right. i can speak in tongues and you can't and i'm better than you because yeah. look what i'm able to do my gift's better than your gift yeah yeah and and it was never for that it was always to glorify god confirm reveal confirm his truth and in the process bring glory to him all right all right what about uh, the way to receive the ability to work miracles okay so we have, our first point basically is miracles have done their job yes the, the miracles that were performed in the first century accomplished the purpose of revealing confirming god's truth to mankind now there's a so that's really argument one why we think miracles are not happening today that's argument one there's another argument about how these miraculous gifts were, were conveyed to mankind. Uh, first of all, some people, really a very few people, a relatively handful of people, received spiritual gifts by the direct baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, we're going to have to go kind of quick to get through this, but if you go to Acts chapter 1, beginning verse 4, being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Notice, he was assembled with them, the apostles. He told them, the apostles, that they were going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. We believe that that not many days hence 
came to pass in chapter 2 of Acts on the day of Pentecost. And chapter 2, verse 1 begins, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all of one accord in one place. If we don't have time to do this, do a little grammar study there. Trace that pronoun back to its antecedents. The they of Acts 2, verse 1 is the apostles. And again, we don't have time to, to, to do that, but it's not hard. Trace that back to, that pronoun back to its antecedent. It's the apostles were all of one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like it was a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so... The Holy Spirit, Jesus promised the apostles, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit soon, not many, not many days from now. Well, it was only about 10 days or so later when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost and they, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak in tongues. That was that baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happened to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. There's no other recorded instance of anything like that happening until you get to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, I think all of our listeners will recognize Acts 10, is talking about the conversion of Cornelius and his household, the first Gentile converts to Christianity. The chapter starts out with Peter being urged to go to Cornelius uh, and had to be convinced in a vision from God that it was okay and, and that he should go to the Gentiles and that the gospel should be preached to the Gentiles. And so as he went to preach in the household of Cornelius. It says in Acts 10, beginning verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Now that's in chapter 10. In chapter 11, Peter retells that episode. He said in Acts 11, beginning verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Now notice that, and I, I think it's a good argument to be made here. Peter could not relate that to anything else that had been happening. He didn't say the Holy Spirit came upon them just like it's been coming upon new Christians ever since Pentecost. Which would, which would make more sense if that was the case. Yeah, he said it happened to them just like it's been happening to everybody else. There'd be more authority behind that. If yeah. it happens to everybody, just like it happened to them just like everybody else, then, yeah. then they're approved like but, everybody else. But he says the only thing that he could compare that to was what had happened to him and the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Right. He says the Holy Ghost came on them as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Notice, this was Holy Spirit baptism. Peter says so. He says, when I saw what happened to Cornelius and his family, I remembered Jesus promised Holy Spirit baptism. So uh, here's, here's just a relative handful of people who received miraculous power by Holy Spirit baptism. The apostles on Pentecost, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius in his household. We don't have any other recorded instance of holy spirit baptism it was a very limited thing it was but but and, and notice too it was a promised thing not a commanded thing jesus just told him it's going to happen to you yeah he didn't he didn't say now you be sure that you get yourself baptized with the holy spirit 
It was not a command. It was a promise. It was administered by the Lord himself. The apostles and Cornelius are the only ones that we ever have a recording of receiving Holy Spirit baptism. Right. Now, Holy Spirit baptism has ended. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And the argument that we would make about that would be from Ephesians chapter 4. When the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. By the time Paul wrote Ephesians, there was now just one baptism. Prior to that, there had been two baptisms. There had been Holy, Holy Spirit baptism. But there had also been baptism in water for the remission of sins. We see that in Acts 2 also. So there were two baptisms initially. Holy Spirit baptism, baptism in water for the remission of sins. But by the time you get to Ephesians, there's only one baptism. Which one is it? Well, it's baptism in water. The same epistle, Ephesians 5, verse 26. uh, Verse 25, Hebrews 5, 26. I'm going to say this right. Ephesians 5, starting verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Washing of water by the word. That's water baptism. Yeah. And so Paul says there's only one baptism, and he identifies that the baptism which remained was water baptism. Holy Spirit baptism had been done away by that point in time, sometime in the 60s A.D. Okay. Okay. So if you if you needed miracles today, you could not get it by Holy Spirit baptism because Holy ba- Holy Spirit baptism has ended. All right. So that's not an option. But there was another way I could get the Holy Spirit miracles, uh, miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Which was? The laying on of the apostles' hands. Exactly right. All right. Let's look at that real quick. Let's, let's just kind of trace that, see how that worked. In Acts chapter 6, someone in the chat room already mentioned, you know, uh, the episode in Acts chapter 6 where there were needy widows who were being neglected. Seven men were chosen to deal with this special problem in the church at Jerusalem. And the, uh, those seven men are named uh, beginning in chapter 6 of Acts verse 5. Stephen, a man full of faith, Holy Ghost, Philip, and it goes on and names others. It says, verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Uh, Now, after they laid hands on these seven, including Stephen and Philip, it says in verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You know, that's the first time in the book of Acts where anybody besides an apostle is named of doing a miracle. It's an interesting study, but if you will study... For instance, Acts 2.43, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Yep. Uh, uh, the, the miracles were being done by the apostles. The first person ever named who did a miracle, who wasn't an apostle here, was Stephen. Yep. And it's after the apostles had laid hands on him. Interesting. So he got that power by laying on the apostles' hands. Now, there's another person in that group who had his hands laid on him, that would be Philip. We mentioned Philip. Philip goes down in Acts chapter 8. Philip goes to Samaria, and in Acts 
8, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Mm-hmm. Philip could work miracles, but he was one of those seven right. who had the laying on of the apostles' hands. Okay. So another way, clearly a way to get spiritual gifts was by the laying on of the apostles' hands. But here's a real important thing to know. You could get it that way, but you couldn't pass it on. It was a one generation pass. The apostles, you could get the laying on, you could get the gifts by the laying on of the apostles' hands, but you couldn't pass that on to anybody else. The reason we know that is in, in that chapter 8 of Acts, it says, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, this is Acts 8, verse 14, beginning, they sent to them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they, the apostles, Peter and John, then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered money. So Philip went down there. He had been one who received gifts by the laying on of the apostles' hands, but he couldn't pass that on. It required a couple of the apostles themselves to come down there and lay hands on these new converts in order that they could receive the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't pass it on. So now, what does that say about us today? We can't get Holy Spirit baptism. And there are no apostles around anymore who could pass on those gifts. There's no way to receive. If we needed spiritual gifts, miraculous spiritual gifts, there's no way we could receive them today. That's just some kind of crazy idea you came up with, that you had to have an apostle or you had to have Holy Spirit baptism. What's up with that? Well, if you think it's crazy, find us another example in the New Testament of people getting the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit and some other way, and we'll believe you. Other than that, we have to go with what the Scriptures say, and that's the only two ways that we see those abilities being transferred in the New Testament. Exactly. All right, when we get back, we'll t- uh, get to discussion of, well, they're still being performed today. Well, you know what? The Scriptures... What was, what was the endurance? What was? How long were they to last? All right, the Scriptures tell us that and give us the answer to that as well. As we step back from this uh, question... And look at just what the scriptures teach us about miracles. Certainly lots of misconceptions in the world today, but the scriptures answer them for us. We'll talk about that some more. We'll get back. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. 
We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. Here's the breakdown of the global religious landscape based on an analysis of more than 2,500 censuses, surveys, and population registers. There are 2.2 billion Christians, that's 32% of the world's population, 1.6 billion Muslims, 23% of the world's population, 1 billion Hindus, 15%, 500 million Buddhists, 7%, 400 million people, that's 6%, practicing various folk or traditional religions, including African traditional religions, Chinese folk religions, American Indian religions, and Australian Aboriginal religions. 14 million Jews, less than 1%. That information is via the Washington Times. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program, going to the top of the hour, talking about uh, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do they occur today? Kevin uh, mentions, you know, back your thing, back when uh, there were miracles and apostles in the ch- running around in the church, you were like, well, things would really be nice and, and good and peaceful in, in churches. But uh, he notes in uh, Corinthians uh, the Christians in Corinth had some trouble trying to get the credit for the abilities they had, giving glory to themselves instead of the God who gave the gift. You know, that's amazing that if God was doing all these things through you, that you'd try and take the glory for it. Um, but we do the same today, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. So how well, long did the- let me read Kent's email yeah. from Georgia. He says, there are only two ways individuals receive the ability to work miracles. One, the apostles of Christ received such through the Holy Spirit baptism, Acts 1.8. Holy Spirit baptism provided apostolic authority to the apostles. And number two, those to whom the apostles imparted miraculous gifts had the ability to work miracles, Acts 8, beginning verse 14, with Philip in Samaria. Holy Spirit had ceased by A.D. 62. He references what we were looking at in Ephesians 4, verse 5. Because Holy Spirit baptism had ceased and eventually all the apostles of Christ had met with death, the apostolic impartation of miraculous gifts ceased. The apostolic age closed and there was no longer a means to work miracles. I think you're exactly right, Kent. Very good summary there. Thank you, Kent. All right. Now, how long did they last? What was their purpose? Can we still do them today? All right. So uh, what I like to try to emphasize is we're making three arguments here. We started out by saying we're taking the position that miraculous deeds empowered by the Holy Spirit, individuals are not receiving that power today. People are not working miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit today. And I'd like, to, I like us to, to sort of keep in mind three lines of argumentation. One is they had a specific purpose stated. And once the purpose was fulfilled, there wouldn't be any need for them anymore. Okay. Sort of like taking the scaffolding down around a building after yes. you've got it built. Right. Number two... The means of receiving these gifts is not available to us today. Even if we did need them, we don't need them, point one. But if we did need them, we couldn't get them because there's no Holy Spirit baptism and there's no apostles around to lay their hands on people. Argument one, argument two. The third argument is that they lasted as long as they were intended to last. And they ended when it was actually predicted that they would end. And the very important text in regards to that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, and you, re- you, you alluded to this earlier, Jacob. Uh, he, he talks about, this is 1 Corinthians 13 beginning verse 8. 
Charity never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, clearly, prophecies, that was miraculous. Tongues, he's talking about speaking in tongues, speaking in languages that they did not know. That's miraculous. The knowledge there is also that miraculous, divinely imparted knowledge. And he says that's going to vanish away. In other words, people are not going to be inspired anymore. I think what he's doing there is he's mentioning three of the gifts with the intention of those being representative of them all. You know, so he's not saying just these three will end. I think he's suggesting all of the spiritual gifts will end. He uses three of them representatively. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Notice their knowledge was incomplete. They didn't have it all yet. They knew only partially. They prophesied only partially. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Notice, what was in part? We know in part, we prophesy in part. They had partial knowledge. Prophecy was partial. When the perfect or complete is come, well, the perfect, the complete, would be that of which they had part already. Right. So they had partial knowledge. When complete knowledge would come, then those things would pass away. So uh, that which was supplying them this information would end once that complete information was revealed. That's exactly what Paul is saying there. Verse uh, 12 reiterates and, uh, and verifies. Well, well, don't, don't, don't pass up uh, uh, verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away child. He's saying, what's happening here? These spiritual gifts, this is for the infancy of the church. Yeah. This is time of infancy. When, when, when we reach a mature state, we won't need these, these things of childhood anymore. Okay, yeah. go ahead. And verse 12 reiterate or verifies what you said about this knowledge and prophecy being part of the full revelation. When they had the full revelation, they no longer need these things in part. Verse 12 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know just as I am known. And a lot so, of people say that's going to be in heaven. Well, that's going to be Jesus coming back. Well, yeah. well, well they say the perfect. Oh, yeah. come. They, they, they would yeah. like to argue that when the perfect, verse 10, is come, that which is in part shall be done away. Yeah. But the perfect there is not Jesus. Yeah. The grammar of this passage doesn't even allow that to be a person, Jesus. But, but clearly... The perfect was the completed revelation of which they only had part then. When the full revelation has come, this will be done away. And as you said, verse 12 emphasizes, how can I know even as I am known? In other words, how can I know myself as God knows me? Well, when the complete revelation was made known, I can read this text and I can know just exactly how God views me. Well, and that that idea is mentioned in James chapter 1 and even uses the same language here. James chapter 1, be ye doers of the word, verse 22, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He saw, saw dimly in a glass. Or talk, that, that same imagery here. This guy's looking in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, there's that word perfect there, the yeah. perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So we here's your mirror. Here's how you see how you're, here's how you know how you're known and see how you're seen. It's by looking in God's word and what he's revealed. Yeah. All right. So we now, have that now. Okay, now, so this this text is telling us when miracles would end. 
is telling us that miracles would end when God's complete revelation was made known unto mankind. There's just no doubt about that. Now, there's one more argument here, Jacob. You know, back up to verse 10, as we said, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And, and so those who want to have modern day miracles are saying, well, miracles continue because Jesus hasn't come yet. Yeah. The miracles are going to continue until he comes. Yep. Uh, well, actually, verse 13 argues against that being the correct interpretation. Other than the language itself. The, the language, it. the grammar, the yeah. context yeah. says that that's not a true interpretation. But notice. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. There were, a, there were certain things abiding that would continue. He's saying gifts are going to be done away, but faith, hope, and charity will abide. Yep. The miracles were going to cease, but faith, hope, and charity would abide. Well, the, that would not fit the time frame of miracles continuing until Jesus returns because the text is saying the miracles will end, but faith, hope, and charity will continue. But if the miracles went clear to the time that Jesus returned, faith will not exist when Jesus returns. Faith will be gone in sight. Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not going to have faith when Jesus comes. We won't have to have faith. We'll have sight. Right. Hope will not last after Jesus comes. Hope will be realized. Romans 8, verse 24, that is seen as not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for it? So, again, verse 13 argues that the perfect come was the perfect complete revelation, not Jesus, the perfect one. And this, and so that it's a misinterpretation of the text to say the miracles would continue until the perfect one, Jesus, comes. No, miracles would continue until the perfect or complete revelation was made known, and then the miracles would end. Faith, hope, and love will continue till Jesus comes, but after Jesus comes, only love will remain. And that's what it says there at the end of verse 13. The greatest of these is love. Love remains. Exactly right. Uh, faith and hope will vanish away when Jesus returns. Kevin says in the chat room, perfect, complete knowledge is here now. He says, I'm holding it in my hands, the Bible. I think that's exactly right. And uh, Kent says, individuals cannot work miracles today. As already noted, the apostolic age has closed, and the means of conferring miracles, miraculous gifts has ceased. It is interesting to note that those who claim to have the power to perform miracles are teachers of error. God would never permit a false teacher to work miracles. Such would be uh, confirmatory, confirmatory of error rather than confirmation of truth. Yeah. That's interesting. If miracles are occurring today, why are those who claim to be working miracles teaching different things? Yeah, you, you would have God out here confirming contradictory messages because different ones believe different things, and yet they all claim to be working miracles. You know, kind of interestingly, among Pentecostals, you know, the Pentecostal religions, there are several different groups. Some of them are oneness Pentecostals. They identify themselves as oneness, Jesus-only Pentecostals. They believe that there's just one being in the Godhead. They're the ones that probably we hear from most often. But there's there are other Pentecostals that are, by their description, Trinitarian Pentecostals. In other words, they believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct beings in the Godhead, which we believe that's what the Bible teaches. But there's two groups. They both claim to be working miracles. They both claim to be speaking in tongues. Now, they both can't be right, Yeah. but they both claim to be working miracles. 
that in itself should prove that that that, that that's not trying. real. <laughs> that it's not real. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a serious issue. I, I I don't know. You probably remember that we were on the radio in Nashville talking about this, and a lady called in almost in tears. She was either she was sick or her husband had been sick, one or the other. And people were telling her, "God, God will heal you. That there'll be a miracle in your life. Don't you? Worry. You just keep praying about it. You just keep believing, and there'll be a miracle." And things didn't. She never got a miracle. And she called. She was almost in tears, saying, "I don't, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore because I yeah. didn't get a miracle." Yeah, that's how serious this is. Yeah. That people are it's being led astray. It's destroying people's faith and can cause people to be lost in hell for sure. Right. All right, Kyle. No comments from you tonight. Uh, yes, he did. He called well, he it a, little. a little bit. Uh, any any other thoughts? Uh, just uh, I guess a, a contrast. I guess between uh, modern day gifts is uh, they have to require you have to believe. In order to see these gifts, so my, my uh, I have a family who they speak in tongues, and uh, they believe that even to even be a Christian, that you have to speak in tongues. So yeah, you have to believe yeah. before you can receive gifts. But the biblical age gifts for cause belief. So that's something that's starting. Yeah, contrast. miracles work to produce faith. That's right. And they're saying, and I've heard that too, Kyle. That if you never got a miracle, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of episodes in the scripture where people who had no faith at all received the results of a miracle. All right, even those who were dead. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, good, good, good discussion tonight. Very important subject, and I'm glad that we were able to to cover it tonight. All right, Kyle. Thanks for joining us. Glad you're here. Good to be here. And Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you all for joining us. And we hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. If you have a suggestion for something you'd like to hear on another edition of the Virtual Bible Study, send it in, questions at collegeview.com. And we hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.